Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Our special draft preview of the pod. Very excited. I've got two guys who know the draft very well and are ready to talk draft. And we have a lot to cover. The Pistons have two picks, of course, in the upcoming NBA draft that is Thursday night. You know, the season just ended, but it's a quick turnaround. And NBA fans, that there's really not much of an offseason. It, it just continues. We've got the draft on the horizon, and we want to preview it for you. Uh, we want to look at pick number 18, some players that might be of interest to the Pistons in that spot, and then also looking into the second round, pick number 49 that the Pistons have, uh, some players that we might value at that pick as well. So joining me to talk about the draft in picks 18 and 49, and all things Pistons and all things draft related, are two guys I'm very excited to have on the podcast, starting with a returnee, Jacob Kivenhoven. How are you, Jacob? I'm great. How are you doing, Jordan? Doing well. I'm excited to talk draft with you. And also joining us, uh, I'm sure you've seen many of his articles, uh, especially some of the great draft articles that he's had on player previews and many of the other things that he's covered as a writer for the Detroit Bad Boys, Steve Henson. How are you, Steve? Uh, doing well. Good to talk to you, Jordan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this, guys. So let's just let's go right into it. I, I think uh, there were some interesting comments made today by Stan Van Gundy in his press conference regarding the Pistons and how they're going into the draft, what what their team, uh, what the front office's thought process is. Uh, Steve, I'm not sure if you caught any of that, but what did you take away? Uh, is the Pistons uh, the Pistons brass? What are they thinking going into this draft? Well, uh, it sounds to me like, you know, Stan Van Gundy's keeping his cards pretty close to his chest. He's, uh, uh, it sounded like some platitudes where he's talking about, uh, that, uh, position won't have any bearing on who it is that they take, that they're just looking for the, uh, um, the best player available, that, uh, that the team's already pretty balanced. And so it's not going to impact uh, free agency or anything like that. Um, and he also talked a bit about how, uh, he uh, seemed to be a bit bemused by um, the idea of mock drafts having uh, much of a bearing as to uh, who they're, who's going to fall where for them. And, you know, I think that's kind of a fair point with uh, it seems like they do have their own uh, idea of who is, uh, you know, they seem to have their own ranking as to what player belongs at what part of the draft. But overall, it, sound, it sounded to me like uh, like they're keeping their, their option entirely open. But, um, you know, it, it, some of it might just be some of that pre-draft uh, smokescreen type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of what I thought as well. Uh, but going in the draft, I think clearly the roster does have some needs. 
I agree with with Stan Van Gundy that the roster is pretty balanced. At least we have a a good idea of who the core will be going into next season. Uh, But Jacob, what do you think of the strategy of going with the best player available in this draft? I don't mind it. I do agree with Stan Van in the sense that there isn't really a position that you can look at as truly being locked in. Even at center with Andre Drummond, you do have the need for some more high-quality minutes behind him. Obviously, backup point guard is a need. You have a lot of questions at shooting guard. Might not even be able to keep KCP after this upcoming season. And then on the wing, you got some good players. you got some combo forwards, but you could certainly look to add some more size, some more rebounding, or some more playmaking there. So I think they're... You could really look anywhere on this team. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. And with some of the mock drafts I've looked at, and I know Stan said not to not to take mock drafts too seriously, but uh, it it seems there's not a player that that uh, many insiders or or you know people who put together mock drafts have really targeted for the Pistons. It is really all over the board. Uh, so going into Thursday night. If there is there a single player you expect the Pistons to take at number 18, let's just go right into it. So, Jacob, what player do you expect the Pistons to take at number 18? Well, it's kind of a loaded question, right, because who is going to be available? And I right. think that's why at number 18 it's hard for there to be a lot of consensus. I think that they will be interested in Denzel Valentin. I know that that's kind of like an overbeaten point, and I don't think he'll necessarily even be the best player on the board. But I'm sure he's a player that they'll look at. Um, they'll be looking at backup point guard for sure. I think Tyler Ulis is a name that I've heard a lot. Ulis, Tyler Ulis, something like that. Wade Baldwin is a guy who I look at as kind of a awesome situation. Uh, that would be a, a great fit and a great landing spot for him, but he's a guy who I'm not sure is going to be there. So I think if he's there, they're taking him. Same possibly with Luwawu, the uh, small forward out of France. Same possibly with uh, Jakob Pertl. But you just sort of don't know. I think if I had to take a stab at it, I would say that they are taking Valentin, but I do not I do not feel confident with that at all. Yeah, it's definitely not something you can say with confidence, because you're right. Being at number 18, we have no idea, and really in this draft in particular, from after pick two, I think it's really anyone's anyone's best guess what the players will be and what order they're taking between three and 17. So... I think you're right. It's tough to say with any confidence who it's going to be. Steve, is there any uh, group of players? I know Jacob did, just did some heavy name dropping. Is there a group of players <laughs> that you have as well uh, that you have in mind at 18? Yeah, you know, I, if I had to put money on who it's going to be, I would uh, I would be guessing Tyler Ulis or, yeah, however you pronounce his name. Um, just because of the fact that I think that he's one of those uh, – you don't see a lot of guys who come out of college, and especially at a pretty young age, who are uh, ready to take command of an offense, who are able to balance um, distributing and getting their own scoring as adeptly as, uh, as he's able to. Um, I do think that there's going to be some growing pains for him with his, uh, with his size, uh, with his scoring in the paint. Um, there's a few red flags I see with him in terms of uh, just uh, how reliant he is on his right hand. And just the jump he made from his uh, freshman to his sophomore year. Uh, it seemed like he uh, was strictly a jump shooter as a, as a freshman. And once he was able to open up that game as a sophomore, he really brought a lot more to the table. But I think that uh, – I don't think that Stan Van Gundy is going to be scared away by his size. He's gone after uh, Isaiah Thomas uh, as a free agent. He's gone after a guy like Norris Cole. Uh, DJ Augustin didn't have a whole lot of size. So uh, so True. I think that, you know, Ulis could be uh, – 
could very well be the pick there. Um, if I was able to hedge my bet with a couple other names, um, <laughs> I, I really don't think that they're going to go for a wing player, uh, both because of the fact that they've got so much youth there and Stanley Johnson, KCP, uh, Hilliard, and, um, and, and Reggie Bullock too. There's an awful lot of young players there that, uh, they're, they're in pretty good shape and most of the talent available is kind of redundant with them. So, uh, I, I think that they'd be looking more at a big man. I don't, I don't think that they're going to go with uh, one of these projects like uh, Scal, you know, Labaresi, however you pronounce his name, from Kentucky, or uh, Thonmacher, or uh, Cheek Diallo. I, I'm, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce any of these guys' names. <laughs> they're, not, they're, they're not, sure, those are not easy names. No, they're not. Yeah, I, I hope I'm at least getting close, but <laughs> if I had to, um, if I had to pick one uh, big man who I think they uh, might target, it'd be another uh, kind of wild name, but Ants Zizek, I think is how, you, how you'd go with it. But sure. uh, coming out of the Adriatic League, um, he's a guy with great size and uh, plays with a lot of intensity. Um, he's a beast on the boards. Uh, he uh, He's similar to uh, Nurse Pick. Oh, boy. <laughs> so we could use some easy names here. <laughs> I wish I Diamond Stone better or Damian Jones, but but uh, Ant Zizek, uh, I think he's going to transition really well. But also, I think a key factor for him is he's a very good free throw shooter, uh, which isn't the case for for most of the uh, big men that we're looking at there. So those would be one of my two uh, calls there. Well, so far, all the names that uh, both of you have mentioned are players that at least from the sense I'm getting from the draft are probably available at number eighteen. Are there any players that you could see dropping in the draft that you would say to yourself, the Pistons have to take this player if he's on the board? Don't don't say Ben Simmons, but if there's some, if there's someone that drops in this draft, who who is it that you say, okay, the Pistons have to take him if he's there at eighteen? Uh, for me, for Steve, it would be uh, Henry Allenson. I uh, I think uh, you got a guy as productive as he has been at such a young age, putting up uh, seventeen and ten as a nineteen year old freshman. Um, and uh, with his shooting ability, too, I think that he would get a very, very strong look if he's still on the board at 18. Jacob, anyone come yeah, to mind? I would echo Ellenson. I mean, he's. I think he's a guy who could potentially fall because teams worry about his defense and his ability to play full-time minutes at center. But he would be a pretty perfect backup center in Detroit. I, I think the ones that I mentioned before, Pirtle and Baldwin, are pretty unlikely to be there at 18. And I could really... I really wouldn't see someone who's a clearly a better prospect than them falling all the way to 18. So that's sort of who I would go with. Maybe if everyone's just totally scared off of the internationals or some sort of red flag go comes up, maybe you could think about Bender, but I really don't think that's happening. Yeah. I have seen Bender drop a bit uh, recently and, and, there was a player that I really loved in this draft that I thought for sure was going to be available at 18, DeMontis Sabonis. And now it seems like he's going to be a top 12 pick in this draft. I, I even read a little earlier on Twitter, and I, I, of course, take Twitter with a grain of salt, but I saw that Sacramento has interest in Sabonis at number 8, uh, which is very interesting because he was someone that early in this process looked like a late first-round pick. Um, yeah. But again, I think similar worries to a guy like Henry Ellenson that, you know, not sure how much time he can play at the five. Uh, who does he defend? Uh, if he gets switched on a pick and roll, is he just going to be as lost as he's looked on some film? Uh, so I, I think there's some big men with questions, but there's also some value, especially on the offensive end. I think with each of the guys we've mentioned so far, Ellison, uh, Sabonis, if one of them drops a bit in the draft, it's probably the questions about their defense, but they definitely are providing something on the offensive end. 
Are there any defensive specialists, anyone on that side of the ball that, or at least it seems like that's their strength uh, that you like in this draft in the first round? Someone like Torian Prince, I think, could be a really good fit with the Pistons. Out of uh, Baylor? Yep. The uh, the rebound definition guy. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's someone that, you know, a definite uh, small forward, it, you know, fits fits that three spot. Um yeah, I, I, lo- I love the comment uh, about the, yeah. the rebound against, uh, against the rebound Yale. The comment. I mean, he's he's a guy, I think, who I look at as being able to switch one through four, which is something that I think the Pistons do value. And if he can hit a three, he's going to have a 15-year career. So I like him. And, I mean, I guess the other, if, they, if they're really in the market for a rim protector, I guess you could look at Davis out of Michigan State. I saw him going in the top ten about a month ago, and now it looks like teens are just a little scared away. I know he'd. Now, he isn't looked at it necessarily like the most high-character guy, which I think is a little unfair sometimes to ask of a college freshman. But if, he, if he's a guy who falls and they're looking for some defense out of the five slot, he could be a really good selection there. Yeah, and someone uh, similar that's right around that pick is Shaq Diallo. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's my attempt to pronounce his name. Uh, the, the big man out of Kansas that uh, had, had a really great – uh, combine and his measurables are fantastic, but his production was limited and he actually was on the bench quite a bit in Kansas. So I think there's some questions there uh, about his game. Uh, but that's someone that just just looking at measurables, I- I'm I'm pretty interested in. And another player that kind of just jumps out when you, you know you're kind of going through, and I'm sure everyone right now you're looking at Draft Express every day. You're trying to get an idea of certain players in this in this draft. Thon Maker. I, that's that's someone that if you've seen the highlight tape that was out a few years ago on Thonmaker, this guy's been a legend to draft Knicks like us for a couple years now. Uh, do you like the fit of a player that you know might be a bit raw? Uh, do you see the Pistons going after a player like that, Steve? Who maybe it's going to take a few years for him to reach his potential? You know, I, I really don't so much. Um, I, I just don't see a whole ton of. Uh, Players who fit that type of profile who wind up being huge successes. Who, uh, you know, I look, I see some of the video of him working out and that sort of thing, and he just looks uh, like he has great intentions. But that's about the nicest thing I can say. Uh, <laughs> he's he certainly got a lot of uh, raw natural ability, and uh, that he does have some uh, um, some skills that might be able to be cultivated. But that he's just such a long ways away that I don't think he even be all that successful in the D-League next year. Um, I look at a guy like uh, Clint Pello, who was drafted uh, from Houston and spent that first year in vacation last year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Pello, he dominated the D-League, uh, but he was one of those very raw type of players. And uh, I think uh, I, I think it's just going to be a tough road for Maker to really uh, make it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was not intentional. But, uh, <laughs> one other defense specialist that I uh, that I will mention um, is Chinanu uh, Onwaku uh, from Lobo. Uh, he... Uh, He's one of those guys who looks like he should be ready to go right off the bat. He uh, he was a solid uh, solid rebounder. He was uh, blocking a lot of shots in Louisville, um, and also he's still pretty young. So he does bring that combination of uh, pretty decent size and solid athleticism and, uh, and some pro- more productivity than uh, some of these guys like Macker or um, or you know Key being a bit of a uh, a mystery guy or um, the fellow from Kansas. I think it's it, like you're bringing up a good point in terms of just 
it's hard to, it's kind of a fool's game to try to find immediate contributors out of rookies with the 18th pick. I mean, num- the amount of guys who even are positive players to winning basketball as a rookie is tiny, let alone with this pick. So I think it's somewhat realistic to expect the Pistons to draft a guy who they have to wait on. I think a lot of cases, you're right. Guys don't just sit on the bench for two years and then all of a sudden turn into stars. But I think a lot of the times these guys get drafted and then the team that's drafting them thinks, you know, they're a little bit away, ways away, but then when they start playing, you sort of see these flashes. And even if it's only in 10 or 15 minutes a game and you only see these flashes occasionally, the guy just plays a lot better than the people who said that he's three years away expected him to. Right, right. That that seems to be the case for some of these uh, really raw guys who wind up being successful, that they do, that they're showing you something that is, uh, that is, success and I think we see that a little bit with um, with Cheek Dialu um, you know that he uh, he's not getting on the floor all that much but he's having some success while he's out there um, with Macker it's just kind of tough just with how little uh, how little we can draw from to see what he would actually look like uh, if he were getting some real minutes uh, you know if he were playing some more uh, organized basketball at a high level, uh, you know, maybe there would be some things that would stand out as to, hey, mm-hmm. here's something that we can build on. But I think about some of these uh, other guys who are kind of raw and toolsy, um, who just, they, they're they never able to put it all together. Whether it's uh, Tony Mitchell, who was coming for the Pistons not long ago, or like Perry Jones. Um, just these guys who do have uh, a lot of skills to them and are kind of that... Uh, power forward who can play on the perimeter and has that shooting ability. They seem to have so much trouble putting it together that I, I'd just be kind of skeptical. And and I, uh, and I it's not really a route I see Bauer and uh, Stan Van Gundy going. The alternative to selecting a guy that's toolsy is the idea that you think that Stan Van Gundy is going to trust a rookie to actually be his secondary ball handler and his primary backup point guard, which is also another route that I think the Pistons are signing a backup point guard, and I don't think Van Gundy is going to trust even a point guard who is supposedly ready. I mean, you have guys like that, like uh, a guy, why can't I think of this? Oh, Tyus Jones, you know, he's a guy who led finals, you know, most outstanding player. He's a Final Four MIP and, you know, was just this amazing college player, and, you know, he gets to the pros and he's not ready. And I just don't see Van Gundy not really looking for a solution at backup point guard except in the draft with the number 18 pick. So I think it's almost more likely that they'll look for someone who could maybe be a contributor a little bit more down the road. Yeah, and I think even decisions to bring in someone like Steve Blake shows you that that this is a front office that values having a veteran in that spot. Jacob, I completely agree with you. And and because of that, and really all of us saying, you know, we're probably not looking for an immediate impact player with this pick – and the Pistons at the 18th spot, okay, you're in the playoffs now, congratulations, but where are you going from here? Maybe this is an asset that we look into trading. Jacob, do you see us trading this pick, and what do we have to get in return for it to be worth it to you? I mean, I think you have to get a player on a rookie deal, and I mean, what you look at the guys who are traded for mid-first-round picks, I just don't really see the appeal. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not going to do this trade for Tim Hardaway Jr., I'm not going to be doing this trade for Grievous Vasquez. So unless someone's willing to give me something like, I don't know, like Mo Harkless or something, and then you get your restricted match rights, maybe that's something that I would think of. But I would have to, it would have to be a young guy on a deal that 
was tradable and locked in for a while. Steve, what do you think about that? And what do you think of the idea of trading the pick? Uh, uh, well, me personally, I'm, I'm not very uh, hyped on this draft. I think it's uh, one of the worst drafts that we've um, seen in terms of talent perspective in uh, quite a little while. I'm sure there will be uh, some of the guys who are available when we pick uh, who will go on to have good, successful careers. But, you know, just uh, it's always a gamble. But that gives you, you know, that fewer uh, that fewer uh, balls in the lottery or however you want to look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I would be... 100% in favor of, uh, of trading it in, in favor of a guy who, um, who, you know, may not have the excitement level of, or the, uh, the sky's the limits of a guy like maker. Um, you know, some people compare him to Kevin Garnett. Personally, I think that's, uh, uh, is forgetting about how good, how early Garnett really was. Oh yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, if you're able to get him for it, um, you know, we did the off-season plan project, and I was looking at a guy like Delon Wright, who uh, who played a couple years in college. He's uh, a pretty well seasoned. He's been successful in the D League, and uh, Toronto don't they don't really have many minutes for him. So maybe we could uh, try uh, try getting a hold of Wright and still have that young player, but a little bit more experience, and you've got a little bit of a better idea of what you'll get for him. Or uh, another possibility would be uh, Patrick Beverly. Um, you know, I don't know how much uh, Houston would want to be uh, <laughs> revisiting a trade for that 18 pick after uh, it, the trade deadline shenanigans. But uh, but Beverly, he he's uh, locked in for a long term team friendly deal. He's still relatively young. He's uh, he's very effective on both ends of the court, and he would uh, really be a a surefire solution to the backup uh, uh, point guard position would be though because i mean he can't create anything for himself and he really was only ever been successful in his career playing as a spot-up shooter next to harden that's true but i mean i think that is sort of the guy that you want to look at though i mean you just named two guys who are young and locked in on deals which i think is the only thing i'd really consider yeah yeah and i think that's kind of what you've uh what you've got to do i i uh i think uh going for someone who's just going to be a salary dump for someone else or who's going to get in the way of uh, whatever you're trying to accomplish in free agency. You're kind of, uh, you know, solving one solution but creating another one, another problem. And maybe it's just that I don't really buy so much the bad draft thing. I mean, 2013 was supposed to be such a terrible draft, and you still have stuff like Rudy Gobert going number 27 and stuff. I think it's just I'd rather take the shot than trade for a guy who's going to be making – six times as much money without really any opportunity for growth within your team. I mean, if you want to be the eighth seed, then yeah, I'd probably change. I'd probably trade the pick, but I just think that good teams hold on to their draft picks. Yeah, I agree. Even if it's, I, and I don't see us using any, either of our picks as a, a way to stash a player, but Jacob, I, I agree with you that we, we should be looking to this draft, even if it is a, a weak draft, uh, just in terms of talent. I think there, there's enough, there's enough to find at that 18 pick that there's some value to it. Uh, and, and really, this is going to be a great test for, for Bauer and SVG. I, I think this, is, this pick could be very important. It could be a role player. Uh, it could be someone that, that kind of is the difference between the Pistons getting home court advantage or not in the first round of the playoffs here in the next few seasons. Uh, just adding a player like that, I think, could be you know pretty valuable. So I, I'm... I'm interested then at how uh, you know how much we look at international prospects because I think there's some really interesting international prospects. They have some big questions in their game, but there are quite a few guys that I really like. I, I think the um, I think 
Jacob, you had mentioned uh, Luwalu, the wing, or uh, Furkan Kormaz out of out of Turkey. Mm-hmm. I think there there are a couple guys on international that. Again, it, it's testing your scouting department and testing what you know about a guy. But I think there's some international players that, that could give you some value at that spot. Absolutely. And it's not really a, a path that the Pistons have taken heavily since 2003, rightfully so, most likely. <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe the stink has worn off that they've given another another go. That's true. I mean, Dumars is not associated with with this pick anymore. So you're right. That's true. I think That's true. I think we can get away from this. And also, Steve, thank you for reminding me that this pick was donuts. This pick was supposed to be Donatas Montiunas. So yeah, now that we're uh, stuck with it, we'll be interesting to see if we can uh, if we can trade out of it or not after uh, trying at the deadline. Are there any, and, and Jacob, I think what I was getting at, are there any sleepers? I guess they don't have to be international players, but players that you like that you want the Pistons to take at 18? I mean, I would be happy with picking one Hernan Gomez, the uh, power forward out of the Estudiantes. He's a, just a really intriguing player to me as an athletic stretch four who can jump, can switch. He's He reminds me a little bit of the player that Jonas Jarebko is in Boston. You know, not a guy who's really going to necessarily break the game open mm-hmm. for you, but he, he's a good defender who can hit threes and is a, a hard matchup for a smaller player. And I think that's sort of what you're looking for out of your second unit if you are able to sign a guy who can create offense for himself and others. Yeah, Steve, do you have any any sleepers or any certain players that you want the Pistons to take at 18? Well, um, you know, they, they talk about having their own um, their own list going and, you know, sort of marching to the beat of their own drum. Um I think Kay Felder is a guy who we've uh, seen in a lot of uh, a lot of folks's um, uh, on our radar that uh, that he's got a lot of fans with the DBB uh, base, and I I think rightfully so. He's he is a uh, very impressive um, player, and uh, being contrasted with a um, another smaller point guard in, uh, in Ulis in that he is more focused, he's more of a scoring oriented guy who uh, he is really the front and center of, uh, of the offense. Everything revolves around him. And so for me, he's not quite as I like Ulis better, but I could see why um, Felder would be a very attractive uh, sleeper prospect. Yeah, I agree. I, he, he was the player I picked in my off season plan project in the second round. And yeah. I see him going anywhere between I've seen a mock having him right at the end of the first round. I've seen mocks with him going 55. So the range is, is pretty wide. And, and Jacob, we, we had just kind of mentioned there are so many international prospects in this draft and so many prospects it seems that uh, or there's been a pretty big change in, in the stock of quite a few prospects. I guess that's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I look, I look at a guy like Marquise Chris who he yeah. really wasn't on the radar at all uh, maybe two months ago, and now he's a top five pick. <laughs> when do we really ever see something like that happen in a draft? Yeah. Deion Waiters. <laughs> Deion Waiters, yes. I, I uh, am still a member of Waiters Island, so I, I have to I have to abstain from any further conversation on Deion Waiters. But Marcus Chris is an interesting player because you're right, he came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden he's a top five, at least a lottery pick. He's definitely going in the lottery, it seems. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that speaks to, to speaks to this draft, maybe not being as strong that a player like that can rise so quickly up the board. Is that kind of what you take from it, Steve? Um, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit of that. Um, 
I, I think, uh, I think you sort of, uh, alluded earlier to that. You kind of know what's going to happen with the first two picks, but after that, it's anybody's guess. Um, and I think that that's just part of it. A part of it. There's just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of an identity to this draft where, uh, usually you've got these guys who are going to fall into different tiers and, um, you know, Marquise Chris, he brings a lot of really intriguing, uh, element to the table and his, he can score in bunches. He can shoot the ball a bit. He is young for his age, but also there's the concern that he doesn't rebound whatsoever. And so, you know, with having such a big red flag like that, it is a bit surprising uh, that he's able to get so much uh, traction like that. And I, I do think that in a stronger draft, that probably wouldn't be quite the case. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think everybody who's evaluating this draft is just searching for someone outside of the top two to pop to them in some way, shape, or form. And I think that's one of the uh, sort of sneaky nice things about having a pick down at 18 is that you could conceivably have a guy who, you know, there's an argument for a lot of guys who are going to be taken in the top five picks. It's just a really total molass of players after those top two. Yeah, and I think the Pistons show taking Darren Hilliard and and even Spencer Dinwiddie, they're not afraid of taking a player that uh, you know isn't isn't the top name on the board. You're right, if they have their own lists going. Uh, I was surprised with the pick of Darren Hilliard last year, and I know it was the second round, but you're right, at the pick of 18, there could be someone that maybe isn't on our, on our radar uh, that could pop for the Pistons, and that's the guy. And I think I trust the front office enough to, to make that pick, and, and hopefully it, it works out. Um, when I'm looking at the, the guards in this draft, there's a few that I could see the Pistons really liking, and one of them is uh, Wade Baldwin. Wade Baldwin out of, out of Vanderbilt. I think there are certain players that fit what the Pistons might be looking for, um, and I'm wondering if a player like that might jump off the board for us. Is there anyone like that, Jacob, that you think might, might jump out um, to the Pistons at that pick? Yeah, I said Baldwin earlier, and I really think that he's an awesome fit for the Pistons. I think another guy, I mean, I, I threw out so many names at the beginning that I kind of stole the thunder a little bit. But I think uh, the guy that Draft Express actually has the Pistons taking right now, Diallo, I think he makes a lot of sense. I like him. He didn't really get a chance to show what he could do at Kansas. But he's one of those guys that when I watch him, he's just outstanding in practically every way except his size. And then he's got this amazing length, and I don't think he quite knows what he's doing out there yet, but I just don't think he's that far away, and I think he was really underutilized at Kansas this year, and the stats really just point to a completely different player that they just sort of failed to unearth. And as a backup center, you know, a year down the road, maybe even a guy who can play some floor, I think that that's, that's a great fit, and he's a guy that I could see us going after. His SVG has proven that he really has a knack for sort of those undervalued assets. And, you know, one thing I'll pick up uh, is uh, that wouldn't be a a horribly dissimilar pick from when uh, Orlando went with Daniel Orton while um, Stan Van Gundy was there. Stan Van, you know, that one obviously didn't quite work out well, but uh, it at least shows a track history of um, Van Gundy, who knows how much, uh, say he had in that pick, but he at least has been a part of a pick somewhere in that war. Uh, as a guy who, you know, really didn't get much playing time with his college team, and uh, the goal was that, um, you know, maybe they'd fit the NBA game better. Yeah, and there are definitely things right. about about Diallo that fit the NBA game better probably than in college. Uh, I mean, just based on his athleticism, his length, 
you think he would be a, a good defender, a shot blocker, someone who can protect the rim. I know he just stands at, you know, 6'9", and I think he actually he actually measured in at 6'7", without shoes, but um, I, I got a, a kick out of watching the draft combine when someone reminded me, they wear shoes when they play, so that's the measurement that matters. So, <laughs> Shaq Diallo at 6'9", uh, is a player that I think is, is very interesting in that spot, and uh, I think having him at 18 to the Pistons, you know, I, I would be fine with that as someone who is probably capable of playing at the four and five and, and could give us some defense. And is your uh, Jacob, you're right, is still probably figuring out how to play the game. And I think that's OK. We've got a, we've got some we've got some minutes that he can play right away uh, while he's you know still figuring it out. He doesn't have to play a big role here. Well, and so one one name I'll give you is a uh, another one who kind of fits that mold of someone who and makes a lot of sense for the Pistons um, that we haven't mentioned yet would be Demetrius Jackson. He uh, seems to be a guy that has been jumping all around the different, sometimes going a little before the Pistons pick, sometimes after, but it seems like he has a good chance of being there. Um, there's a lot to like about Jackson. He's athletic. He's explosive. He's uh, he's shown that he can shoot the ball at uh, you know sometimes better than others. But for me, I'm a little uh, I'm not entirely sold on him because his numbers don't really blow you away, especially for a guy who's going to be 22 years old when the season starts. But there are some ways that um, it might there's some indications that might be a part of Notre Dame's offense that was suppressing his numbers rather than uh, any lack of uh, productivity productive uh, ability. Yeah, that's a good point, and that's what makes this process difficult. Is you have to kind of get an understanding of where they were playing and what type of opportunities they were given. And, and someone like Demetrius Jackson, you're right, his game is interesting. I think it fits the NBA better than how he was utilized at Notre Dame. Uh, and it, he's someone that even at 6'2", I think has pretty good length and would be a pretty good defender just because he's really active. I, mm-hmm. I, he's a very active player both ends of the floor and I think could be an interesting fit for the Pistons. I, As a general rule, if a guy is a point guard and can create separation, and is big, I'm going to like him a lot, and I do that (laughs) with Jackson as well. Yeah, he's definitely one of those players. Wade Baldwin is one as well, and Wade Baldwin also adds a a wingspan that's almost seven feet uh, to the mix. Uh, Jackson probably is the better scorer uh, of the two, Uh, but if we're looking at point guard in the draft, and I guess it goes back to the question of if the Pistons want a rookie as their backup point guard, do you, Steve, I'll start with you. Do you want a rookie as his backup point guard for the team next season? Um, well, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thought. I, I think it, it depends on the kind of veteran that he'd be paired with and, you know, the, well, the type of track history that he has. Uh, um, we, if we look at last year, when it, when we were going into the summer league, it looked like it was Spencer Dinwiddie all the way. Um, they still didn't even have Steve Blake at that point. It wasn't until uh, Dinwiddie kind of crapped the bed in the uh, in the summer league that they, you know, traded Quincy Miller away to uh, to get that insurance of Steve Blake. So um, I I wouldn't be surprised if they did go with a lower level uh, veteran to be able to uh, you know give the um, if they draft a point guard to give that player. Uh, a chance to really compete for the job. Whereas if you go for a guy who you're not, you're signing for a $20 million deal over three years, and then uh, that they're probably not going to waste uh, 7 million bucks to have that guy sitting on the bench. So I think that's one of the things is that it depends on the type of veteran they go after. If 
if they have enough confidence to use this pick for a uh, for a point guard, and then I think they should probably give them a chance to at least compete for the job to to show that they're NBA ready. Yeah, that's a great point, Jacob. How do you feel about having the uh, a rookie as a backup, and and what do you think the chances are going into next season with a rookie as the backup point guard? Yeah, it's a really interesting thought. I don't know if uh, if you bring in sort of a scrap heap veteran, sort of like Blake, and then you bring in a rookie who you hope can win the job, that's not really solving the position. And you sh- could still end up with, you know, a similar situation that we had last year. Van Gundy, I don't think, wants to do that again. He even sort of complained about the point guard situation on J.J. Reddick's podcast a couple weeks ago. So in some ways, I expect them to go and sign a point guard for three or four years that they feel really comfortable with. I mean, they don't really have any other real ways to spend their money this offseason in particular. So in that in that sense, since I expect them to do that, I do not expect them to take a point guard. Whether I'd be comfortable with it, that's a different story. I, I don't think I would be because I just don't really trust rookies on contending teams in general. Yeah, and I'm not sure how much Van Gundy would, would trust it as well, having a rookie in that spot, especially if it's the player you're giving 15 to 25 minutes a game. I'm, I'm not sure if that role would be available to a rookie. Uh, but, Steve, I agree with you. If you bring someone in, you might as well give them the chance to prove it. And you've got Summer League, and you know going into training camp is a chance to find out. I think if we're going to, it's going to be a pick 18. I cannot imagine us taking a point guard uh, with the 49th pick and giving that player an opportunity to, to back up Reggie Jackson. But that could be the spot for insurance. That could be the spot for possibly a third point guard. Are there any players like that that you like in this draft as a, as a potential third point guard? Gary Payton the second. Gary Trust Payton me. too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a guy who I put probably way too high when I did a board back in like January or February or something, but I, I still like him. I still think he's just such a statistical outlier that you can't not take a chance on him. So what, what is it that makes him a statistical outlier? I'm not too familiar with his game. Well, he's, he's 6'3", 184, super long wingspan. He's a senior. He's kind of old, but, I mean, he's averaging 8.1 rebounds per game as a point guard while also averaging, like, he had the best steal rate in the country. And in general, just guys that pop off the stat sheets that much, especially in terms of rebounds and steals, just shows that he's got either, A, athleticism through his nose, he's got some kind of basketball sense through his I think it's just, if you're looking at the 49th pick, I don't see how you can't pass up on someone who just pops off the stat sheet like that in a way that maybe one or two players do per year. And usually, and you know, uh, watching him uh, when he was playing up at, uh, where was he at? Oregon State? Um, yeah. He was, he was, uh, he, he seems like he's got that uh, athleticism and he knows how to really use it. He puts it to work to his game. Uh, um, he uh, he was the type of point guard it seemed who would be uh, letting his teammates uh, do do their thing for most of it. But when it came crunch time, he was uh, willing to take over. I uh, really enjoyed watching him um, play whenever I did have the opportunity. Um, but uh, for me, the uh, the guy who I'd be looking at would be um, would be Kate Felder. Just uh, I mentioned him before, but. He's just such a a natural scorer. He seems like he's got all of those little uh, tricks that it will take for him to uh, really be successful at the next level, while also um, you know having having some distribution ability too. I uh, I I think he's kind of an acquired taste personally, and so you know he's not not 
one hundred percent my uh, my personal choice, but I, I think he's got that type of talent that he'd be uh, very much in consideration for that uh, for that pick. Steve, what do you think of uh, Karis Levert? You know, I I don't know. I, he's uh, he seems like a tantalizing type of player. You know, with the the type of size that he has and uh, and the shooting ability he's shown at times uh, that he seems to have that he has a, a lot of really intriguing abilities. Uh, you know, his one of those that he doesn't seem to have is to be able to stay healthy. And uh, I, I I don't I'm I'm not entirely sure. Um, I I think. I think uh, I think he'd certainly be a consideration there. For me, I, I have trouble really seeing him be at that level just because. Uh, Florida, right? Oh yeah, there's Wade Baldwin. There's uh, there's Levert. Uh, they they don't necessarily make their presence felt in uh, in that dramatic of a way, and that was one of the problems that Spencer Dinwiddie had. Why he wasn't successful with the Pistons is that he was. Uh, um, whether it was a confidence thing with his early struggles or, or whatnot, but he would go through so many periods of time where he was just passive or you just might not even notice he was on the floor, except uh, when you notice, hey, why does our offense kind of suck right now? Oh, okay, then what he's running point. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of worry that, uh, that those two players may have a little bit of that uh, – um, have a little bit of not quite have enough aggressiveness to really be successful. Yeah, that's a good point because as a Michigan fan and someone who watched quite a bit of Karis Levert, uh, even this last season in the few games he uh, he was able to play when he was ha- hampered with all the injuries he, he had this past season, uh, you're right. It's There's something deceiving about his game that when you look at the box score, you would think he's really just taking over the game and he's the best player on the floor. He's had some really great performances with Michigan, but you don't always see it when you're watching the game. There's something about the eye test he's not quite passing for me. I, I, I agree with you. And I'm just not sure what position he plays, at least for this Pistons. I, I just don't know how he would get on the floor and um, who he plays with. I, I've seen him listed at point guard in small forward, uh, maybe like an Evan Turner type of player. I, I'm not sure. I, I think there's a, a lot of mystery around him and where he fits in the NBA. Uh, Jacob, what do you think? What do you think of him? I, I think there's no mystery. I mean, I think he's just a three and D wing role player. You know, a guy okay. who shoots and defends on the wing, and I mean, he doesn't really have to take over the game, in my opinion, with what he's going to be in the NBA. Not sort of like a guy who's going to be running your offense and scoring. I mean, I don't see any reason he can't defend the wing and hit the three. So, I mean, I guess that's why I'm definitely buying into him as a second round pick. But I can sort of see that there are reasons people are scared off with the injury and stuff. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's a, he was a pretty ball dominant player at Michigan at times and uh, was someone that, you know, was actually a pretty good ball handler. So maybe that's the reason that I think actually draft express still has him listed as a point guard shooting guard. Uh, But yeah, maybe, maybe we're all just overthinking it and he is just a three and D prospect, Uh, which would be fine. And actually if we can grab him in the second round and it seems he's going somewhere between 45 and 55, uh, in most mocks that I've looked at, uh, he might be available for the Pistons with that second round pick. Well, uh, one one that I would be remiss not to mention being an Indiana alum is Yogi Ferrell, but I think at this point he's looking kind of on the outside, that uh, he's on the outside looking in at the draft, but um, he's another one of those smallish point guards who was who was extremely productive in his college career. He uh, he uh, ran one of the more prolific offenses in the country. Um, 
the downside is is he is a legitimately bad defender, right? and so I think that's uh, the big the big reason why he is probably not going to be drafted. But hey, mm-hmm. got to throw my IU guy out there for it. <laughs> that's fair. Well, I did have a, a question I was going to pose to both of you. This is something I uh, a friend of mine had asked me, and I decided I would include it in the podcast. If the Pistons traded up to the number three spot, and Ben Simmons goes one to Philly, Brandon Ingram goes two to the Lakers. Who do you want the Pistons to take at number three? Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> For me, I'll take Marquise Chris. I uh, oh. think there's definitely a bust prospect there for him, but, uh, you know, I I, uh, I would take him ahead of the Dragon Bender and day. Um, you know, a guy like Chris Dunn, I don't think we really need him. And plus, I think... Uh, you know, being a 22-year-old uh, draft prospect, he, uh, you know, didn't quite do as much as you would expect for a top three pick. Um, and uh, really, really, Marquise Chris, I think, is the best combination of, uh, of talent, potential, upside, and, uh, and filling a need for the piston. But if we were giving up anything significant to move into the top three, and then you guys, uh, oh, boy, uh, I I wouldn't be a very happy camper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the odds of moving up to number three are are pretty low. Uh, I can't imagine Boston looking to acquire even more assets at this point. Uh, It seems they're trying to just sell some off. Um, But, yeah, let's say we're we're at that three spot. So you take Marcus Chris. Uh, Jacob, who do you take? Uh, I would go Bender, I think. Okay. What do you like about Bender's game? Um, I think he does everything well. And he's an 18 and a half year old, seven foot one guy who can play either big man position. And I just don't see how that's not a top three pick in practically any draft. I mean, I, I, I don't really know if he's ever going to be the score for her to be like a legitimate MVP candidate. I don't think he ever will be, but the guy is kind of like Carl Anthony Towns, super, super, super light to me. And that you can't really point out a discernible weakness in his game. And then a guy who's seven feet tall, I mean, that I'm a buyer on that all day of the week, every day of the week, <laughs> not all day of the week. Twenty four seven, three sixty five. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I actually I, I saw a comparison of Dragon Bender to Hito Turkoglu, and I kind of agree because you're right. He can do everything. He's seven foot tall, but he can. He handles the ball pretty well. He runs the floor extremely well. Uh, I don't think he would play the threes. I think he's definitely a four in today's NBA. Um, and I think I can wouldn't be surprised if whoever drafts him tries to use him a bit at the five for some small ball. Uh, but yeah, he's a very intriguing prospect. And Jacob, yeah, I, I think I would take Bender as well at that at that uh, three spot. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Make sure to look up uh, previous episodes on blogtalkradio.com. And you'll also find all episodes on DetroitBadBoys.com. Your home for all things Detroit Pistons. Make sure you're checking that daily throughout the offseason. That's your place to get all NBA news and notes. Uh, Thank you everyone for listening. And we'll be talking to you after the NBA draft. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's 
magical.